Jody loves visiting her grandparents' farm. Okay, so it's not the most exciting place in the world. Still, Grandpa tells great scary stories. And Grandma's chocolate chip pancakes are the best. But this summer, the farm has really changed. The cornfields are sparse. Grandma and Grandpa seem worn out. And the single scarecrow has been replaced by 12 evil-looking ones. Then one night, Jody sees something really odd. The scarecrows seem to be moving, twitching on their stakes, coming alive. The Scarecrow Walks at Midnight is this week's story on The Goose Down. Alright, so welcome back for most. Welcome for the first time for some to The Goose Down, uh, the show where I review each and every one of the books in R.L. Stein's classic Goosebumps series. My name is Cameron Hawkins. I am the host of the South Congress Podcast, producer of the South Congress Podcast Network, I'm a regular contributor to the Pro Wrestling Torch newsletter and website. So, this is it. Like, this is the one. Um, this is episode 20, so it's book 20, and I really think this is the best book in the series so far. Um, I, I want to say happy October to everyone listening. Um, Halloween month. It's a wonder, and this was not planned, but Halloween month is where we get, I think, the best book in the series so far. And it does a really good job of covering um, one of the coolest tropes that I think exist in like horror stories and horror movies in general. And we'll get into it, and I'll give you some examples of what it is as we get there. Um, but yeah, I, I thought this was just a really, really good read. I love how the characters were described. I love how a lot of the characters in this story are really three-dimensional uh, as far as their characteristics, as far as their motivations. Uh, so yeah, I, I just have a lot of good things to say about this story. Um, and then we'll get into some housekeeping stuff as far as the uh, the show and the network uh, go here at the end. I don't want to get too sentimental about things, but you know, running a, a a podcast network, a podcast feed, you see shows come and go. So so we'll talk about that at the end. Um, so let's just really get into the story. So it's about um, a girl named Jody, and Jody is twelve. She has a younger brother named Mark who is ten. So they spend the summers with their grandparents on their grandparents' farm. And, uh, you know, they live in the city, 
grandparents live in the country, of course. And, you know, one of the things you talk about early is just the big juxtaposition of living in the city versus living in the country. The grandparents always make remarks um, that it's not like that in the city. Um, and on their farm, it's Grandpa Kurt, Grandma Miriam. Um, they have a farmhand named Stanley and Stanley's son named Sticks. Um, they call him Sticks because of how uh, you know wiry he is. But they rave about certain things on this farm. They love their grandmother's cooking. They love their grandfather's uh, stories. Like the grandparents are older, but just very jovial, fun people. Um, you're always trying to get them to have a good time. They always take them around the farm to have fun. Um, you know, just what you'd call ideal grandparents, like vibrant and giving and lively and just all the things you'd want. You know, especially when, and Jody touches on this, you don't get to spend the summer with your friends um, like you normally would. Um, even though Jody's very open-minded, like to the country, she describes Mark as just kind of the kid that I was, you know, growing up in Southern Maryland. You know, my... um. To put an age on myself and to kind of put an age on just American society, you know, in general, you know, my, my grandparents were sharecroppers. So I have fond memories of shucking tobacco with my uncles in a barn. Like, this is something I used to do, you know? Um, so, like, I, I get that whole idea of living in the city and spending a lot of time in the country and just how you come to appreciate it, you know? Um, I grew up in Southern Maryland, so like I vividly remember all the crab cookouts at my grandparents' house where we would spread out you know, a bunch of newspaper and you'd get your own knife and you'd crack the crab with the back of the knife and then eat it and everybody outside drinking Safeway fruit punch and doing the electric slide. Like That's literally me growing up, so, so I can really identify with this, but not to deviate from the story so much, um, Mark is that kid who... You know, even as a country kid, shows up with his Walkman and his Game Boy and would rather be engrossed in that than riding around on the farm, right? So Stanley is actually the one who picks up Jody and Mark from the train station. And, you know, Jody, without saying it directly, acknowledges that Stanley has... You know, either a, a low income, a learning deficiency. Um, you know, we would talk about his, his mental well-being in a different space in 1994 when this book came out. But, you know, we, we don't really talk about somebody's intellect or ability to grasp concepts or anything like that anymore. Um, so we're certainly not going to do it here on this show. But, um, you know, he, he's he's... A simpler person, you know, for, for lack of a better way of saying it. And I, and I really hope that doesn't come across as offensive, but just an acknowledgement of how the character is described. Um, you know, he has his own inside jokes that, that he tends to find funny, you know, has a very one track mind and is noted as being really superstitious. So it's said that he carries around a book of superstitions that he always refers to and reads. Um, so when they get to the farm officially, Jody acknowledges that they always had one scarecrow out in the field and now there are multiple scarecrows. And again, like I have knowledge of growing up around scarecrows. Um, uh, my 
paternal grandparents, you know, a little bit off of their house had like a giant field that they used to have scarecrows in. Um, and I just remember you, you go across that field far enough and you would get to my cousin Elsie's house. And my cousin Elsie was 102 years old my whole life. Um, and, and I had <laughs> lasted forever that long having country flashback guys. So they acknowledge that there were, there was one scarecrow and now there's like 12 of them out there. Stanley lets the kids know that he actually made the scarecrows. And then he said he would kind of trail off and say the scarecrows walk at midnight. And Jody's like, what are you talking about? And he just repeats it. Scarecrows walk at midnight. Um, but then doesn't bring it up again. So Jody gets to Jody and Mark get to their grandparents' house and she starts to see little things different that they do. Um they ask their grandfather to tell scary stories, and every time they ask him to do it, um, he seems to say stuff like, oh, I don't know any stories, or I've forgotten them all, or I don't really have any stories to tell you. Um, and again, one of their favorite things about being there is all of a sudden gone. Their grandmother makes these amazing chocolate chip pancakes, right? Um, and... The next morning when they wake up and they expect the pancakes, their grandmother gives them cornflakes. I said, I'm like, you know, what's going on? And they just acknowledge that, you know, their grandmother seems to have a more serious face. Their grandfather seems to have less confidence. Um, you know, they, they acknowledge he's like a striking man, like tall and broad shouldered and uh their mother always said, oh, you know, he's movie star, good looking. And he just seems to be a bit more shrunken. Um, so, you know, the kids are immediately disappointed because even though I think Jody does a pretty good job of, you know, acknowledging that people get older with age, you know, she still seems to be upset by this. So Jody goes to her room and that night she looks out the window and she can see the scarecrows from the room she's staying in. She looks at the scarecrows and they seem to be moving on their stakes. And she's like, well, my eyes must be playing trick on me, tricks on me. No way this is what's going on. Um, she doesn't feel like she can ask her grandparents that night because their door is closed. Um, so the very next day, uh, Stanley, Jody and Mark go out fishing. So Stanley is the one that you know, kind of takes them around the land on the farm. Um, so while they're going out, before they even start their trek out to the creek where they fish, he demands that they walk around the barn three times um, for good luck because this is something he read in the superstition book. Um, and even along the way, he finds a pine cone and notices that there's like dew on the pine cone. Um, and it says that that means they're going to have a short winter. And so he finds the pine cone, picks it up, and puts it back in the exact same place. So not only is he like a creature of habit, but he seems to be really clinging on to these superstitions, which they acknowledge. Now, we haven't really talked about Sticks yet. Sticks being uh, Stanley's son. The kids acknowledge that he always picks on them for being city kids. Um, and, you know, there's always that idea in these stories about people from the city thinking that they're either 
more well-adjusted or them being more delicate. Now, kids from the country tend to, uh, you know, either tease them about that or, um, you know, kind of resent them for it. And so Sticks is like this. He's always kind of making fun of them for what they can and can't do and kind of picks on Mark. So, so it's important that we talk about him because he also seems to be of of normal operating intelligence. And so he's protective over his dad like that. And, you know, whenever his dad's like telling these jokes, he seems to be doing something superstitious. Sticks kind of tries to reel him back in. Um, so, so you can imagine like a kid living out on the farm, um, you know, not getting to see a lot of the world, but also knowing that you exist in a different space from a parent, um, you know, has to be difficult on him. And again, I think this story does a very good job of conveying not only relationships between characters, but how that affects like their actual personality and the way that they interact with the world around them. I think this this book does just a really good job of this. Um, in 120 pages, no less. Like this is to me, the best storytelling in the series so far. Uh, so, they're out there doing the fishing thing, right? When they get to the creek, Jody is still thinking about the scarecrows moving. While she's in the creek, she steps in some weeds and thinks that a scarecrow hand is pulling her down. And she falls down in the water and everybody has kind of a kick out of it. As she gathers herself, she sees something looking at her from behind a tree. She's pretty sure it's a scarecrow. And then she points out to it and gets to it. Um, she tells Stanley. And Stanley seems to be shook. And he just kind of runs away from them. Even though they don't find a scarecrow there. Jody still isn't convinced that the scarecrows are alive. And it gets to the point where she starts to suspect that Sticks is the one playing a prank on them because that's the relationship they've developed over a few summers. Like Sticks being 16, them being 12 and 11, they're not really going to be peers. So there's going to be, you know, probably some teasing between them. And so he treats them like little kids. Um, so her coming to this conclusion really does make sense. So the next day, their grandparents kind of push them off to go horseback riding. And they have two old mares. And so Jody and Mark being kids from the city who aren't super skilled at riding horses makes sense to give them older horses who can't take off on them. So as they're riding the horses, a scarecrow pops out and the horses being, you know, horses, they do that thing. If you play Red Dead Redemption, your horse gets scared, kicks his uh, front legs up into the air, goes back on its hind legs and throws you off the horse. So this happens to Jody, um, and when she kind of comes to, Mark's fallen as well, and he seems to have broken his wrist. Um, and it turns out it was just a sprain. But now at this point, them seeing the same thing at the same time, they are convinced that it's Sticks that is playing this uh, prank on him. So they're like, yo, we got to get him back. So the idea is for Mark to dress up as a scarecrow, they're going to put him out in the field. Jody's going to convince Sticks to go out into the field by himself. Mark will jump up and it'll scare Sticks. So they dress Mark up, put the straw all over him, have him in the field. And so Jody's like, yo, I'm going to go gather Sticks. While she's looking for him, 
a scarecrow comes up to her. And she's like, okay, Sticks, I see that you're trying to get me. But then she looks around. More and more scarecrows are moving. They're scarecrows. So like you would figure any type of supernatural figure like that, they're going to do the zombie thing where they're doing the slow approach and don't have like full motor skills and all that. So as they start to get to them, um, they notice that they actually seem to be moving towards their grandparents' house. So Jody's able to run there first, and as she's there, Sticks meets her. So this is where the action starts. Now, another good thing about this story, I appreciate that they didn't wait until, you know, the fourth quarter, basically, um, the third act of the story, to have the Scarecrows be... Like the actual plot point, like they seem to be existing all throughout this story. And so I like that it didn't wait until the very end to actually give you the action. So Sticks meets her at the same time. And this is where you find out exactly what happened. Stanley, who has been reading this book of superstitions, you don't get the origin of the book, but it turns out the book actually does have supernatural power. He found a place in the book where you could bring inanimate objects to life and control them. So basically, it doesn't tell you exactly the order that it happens, but it seems that he found the spell, was able to bring the one scarecrow to life. And then he told Grandpa Kurt and Grandma Miriam, I won't, he said, I'll put the scarecrow back to sleep as long as you promise not to laugh at me again and do everything that I want. So here's where we get to like this, this really interesting, really scary trope that exists in horror to me, which is the idea of the downtrodden or the misunderstood all of a sudden having a supernatural or psionic or demonic power that they use to get back at the people they feel have wronged them or oppressed them. And it's just, to me, it's just a super frightening thing because you spent all this time communicating with a person in a way that placed them below you and now you have to be extra careful to treat them like they're more than you so as not to upset them and have them use this crazy power. A few of the stories that made this super interesting to me. Um, there's a movie that came out in the late 80s that my sisters introduced me to. I have two older stepsisters who I didn't get along with until I was like 30. So, yes, I'm, I'm the Cinderella of my life. Um, <laughs> this is a movie called 976 Evil, which is about these cousins Spike and Hoax. And basically, Hoax is like this super introverted nerd. Um, and even though his cousin cares for him, uh, Hoax always seems to be getting bullied or picked on. Um, and there's this girl he's really into that Spike gets with, with no trouble, right? So... They find this uh, this hotline. It's like a novelty phone line called 976 Evil, 
which gives you uh, fortunes, tells your fortunes for a few dollars. But of course, it's, you know, Satan's hotline, basically. <laughs> and it corrupts people into doing what he wants. Um, you know, hoax figures out exactly what it is and then starts to get revenge on everybody around him, including like this crazy thing where the girl he likes bakes a bunch of spiders on accident and then when he tries to crush the spider he crushes the girl like it's it's a crazy story but yeah um some real sinister stuff um and then you know probably the the most famous story of all those is carrie this girl picked on by people around her picked on by her mom bullied at school bullied in locker room and then ultimately it comes to a head at the prom um, where they dump, you know, blood on her after manipulating her into winning prom queen. And then her, you know, evil psionic powers comes out and it's a massacre. And then like on a lighter note, um, well, look, I say lighter, but it, it's kind of something that's on one of my favorite old shows, The Twilight Zone. And one of my favorite recent Earth shows, Justice League, where you have um, people who and, and it's weird. So it's not so much of less intelligence, but in the Twilight Zone, um, one of their most famous stories, It's a Good Life, where this kid, Anthony Fremont, has like all-encompassing, omniscient mental powers, and he cuts off his town from the rest of the world, and people who think, you know, unhappy thoughts are sent off into oblivion, and he makes like these crazy monsters which he kills and everybody kind of has to go along with what he says because they don't have control and then you know in the uh in the show justice league they have the two-part episode legends where basically there's um you know a nuclear war and then this kid develops mental powers where he creates a world where everything's perfect but nobody has free will so there are all these stories that exist like this where people live in either you know constant fear or people live in you know, blissful ignorance because people that they've shunned or made to feel less all of a sudden have all this control over the world around them. So, yeah, um, I'm sure you've seen Carrie. If you haven't seen 976 Evil, you know, ignore the budget. Um, it's like one of Robert England's few movies. It's really fun. But th these are the things that, like, I genuinely find frightening. So, okay, back to our story. Again, um, this is where Styx tells them that his dad made a deal with his grandparents, that they couldn't laugh at him and that they had to do whatever he wanted. So, number one, this is why there are no more scary stories because Grandpa's scary stories genuinely frightened Stanley. No more chocolate chip pancakes because he didn't like the way that they tasted. Um, and, you know, I think just older people of a different time, even though they gave the guy a job, I think there were probably, you know, little shots they took at him or making him feel slighted. And, you know, he was cognizant enough to understand that. And so he creates and brings to life these monsters, um, you know, to kind of keep these people at bay. So the issue is that he was able to get the first part of the spell right, but could never quite shut it down. A recurring theme in Goosebumps, um, if you look at Night of the Living Dummy, where they couldn't shut down Slappy by just repeating the spell. So, um, all of a sudden, the door to the farmhouse opens. 
Stanley and the grandparents come out. Sticks is like, yo, everything's good. Like, there's no problem. So Stanley starts to put the book away that he always carries around. Um, because they figure, like, okay, the scarecrows can be dealt with as long as we keep Stanley cool. Just at this time, Mark comes out of the cornfield. And Stanley, having control over this magic, being easily frightened, automatically assumes that Mark is one of the scarecrows brought to life. So he freaks out and starts to run into the cornfield, and he's chanting the spell from the book. He's thinking that he needs to stop the scarecrows. The kids chase after him, thinking that they have to stop him. All of a sudden, all the scarecrows start to approach the group. And Stanley does not seem to be able to control him. There's this one second where the scarecrows notice Mark. And then Mark starts to make different movements. And they seem to be following him. So everybody assumes that um, whatever the nature of their supernatural abilities, they're always going to have to have somebody lead them. And so he takes off his scarecrow head. They do the same thing, but they keep coming. So it was more just them trying to identify what they were seeing and thinking they were the same, not that he had it in control. So Styx takes everything into his own hands. As the scarecrows are approaching everybody and start to smother the grandparents and start to smother the kids, Styx comes up with some torches, lights them on fire, and starts to burn the scarecrows. Like, I love... You know, the 16-year-old, because we don't get that in any of these stories. Everybody's like 12 or 11. And there is a big gap in maturity and in things that fear you between 11, 12, and 16. So Sticks is like, nah, no more of this. Burns the scarecrows. Problem solved. So um, everything that was under control no longer had power. So next day, everything seems to go back to normal. Grandparents are happy again. Um, Stanley's even still reading from his book. But they seem to have come to understand. Stanley says, no more scarecrows, no more scarecrows. So everybody's safe, right? All of a sudden, the bearskin rug in the grandparents' living room starts to move, comes to life, and appears to be about to attack Jody. And Jody turns to Stanley and asks him what chapter he's reading from his book. So, like, it goes from bad to way worse in that we're about to be attacked by a reanimated bear. Um, yeah, I think pacing-wise, character development-wise, like, actual fear and actual consequences and the idea that the evil is actually coming from somebody's desire to want to be treated equally – just a really good story. Um, you know, frightening for a children's book borrows from like some really iconic stories in fantasy and horror. I had a great time reading this book. Uh, it's just really fun. You get a kid, a city kid who has gone on these country excavations where you hear things at night and can't explain everything. Uh, somebody who strives to make sure that people are treated equally so that things like this don't happen. Uh, you know, but having that fear of of being misunderstood and you know somebody interpreting that a certain way, I had a blast <laughs> with this story. Uh, so yeah, out of all of them, if you have to jump back into a series, um, 
I'd start here. Scarecrow Walks at Midnight, a fantastic read. Um, yeah, so so some housekeeping stuff really quickly. Um, you know, this show always comes out on a Wednesday. Uh, tomorrow is going to be the season finale of I Just Want to Tell Stories. If you only listen to The Goose Down on this feed or um, if you are just kind of jumping into the shows, I Just Want to Tell Stories is a 10-episode uh, show that was produced by myself that is hosted by uh, my my friend, my old classmate, uh Joe Anderson Jr. from the Mahogany Project. And I just want to tell stories, highlights uh, artists of color, in particular queer artists of color, about their creative process, about the things they've worked on, about their vision, about their relationships, um, uh, about their upbringing. Just a fun 30-minute per episode, 10-part series that we concocted over the summer. Uh, The final episode of season one is going to be tomorrow. Sad to see it go. I'm really fun to work on. We did audio and video. We did a panel at UT with Joe, myself, and all 10 guests, um, you know, talking to creatives just about the things we've encountered. R- really, really fun show. Sad to see it go. I think we're looking at recording season two this winter for it to drop uh, next year, um, late winter, early spring. So that'll be that. And uh, really excited for our patrons. I'm exclusively on our Patreon. Um, we're reviving my 100% accurate retellings of movies, uh, specifically geared towards some horror movies here for the Halloween season. So yeah, really excited about all that. Uh, yes. Yeah, so this has been episode 20 of The Goose Down. The series where I review each and every book in R.L. Stein's Classic Goosebumps series. My name is Cameron Hawkins, host of the South Congress Podcast, producer of the South Congress Podcast Network. And be ready, everybody, because next week's story is probably the most vivid cover art that I remember. Episode 21 is going to be Go Eat Worms. Again, this has been The Goose Down. My name is Cameron Hawkins, and thank you for joining me. Yo, listen up, man, it's your boy, Scorsese Lord Jones. One half of the Dream Team, one third of the Fedora Boys. Listen up, man, I got something to tell you real quick. Dream Team, a Stokely Hathaway joint. My new album is available now. You can pick that up anywhere you listen to your albums. If you want to support it, go to griffxscorsese.bandcamp.com. It's fire. Zilla Rocker, Curly Castro, Vic Spencer, Mr. Lift. I ain't got to tell you no more. Just go pick it up. GriffXScorsese.Bandcamp.com. I'm still stacking chips on record, crushing every single enemy. You heard me?